As you know, we've been um, making our way through Psalm 119, and uh, today we are continuing in our look at the Zion stanza, which is verses 49 through 56, and uh, it's been a great study. We've seen different uh, themes through each of these stanzas that we've covered and seeing how uh, God encourages us in different areas of our Christian life uh, to be more in pursuit of holiness and godliness. And uh, each and every stanza focuses on a different element of the Christian life. And today we're going to uh, wrap up our, our um, look at this particular stanza and see how God comforts us in our affliction. As you've noticed uh, throughout this service up to this point, we have seen uh, and heard how God encourages, strengthens, and comforts his people. Uh, we've sung about it. We've heard scripture read about it. And uh, I want to continue in that vein as we look at this particular stanza. Uh, earlier we heard, or we were told that all of us suffer in different forms, different ways. Um, we may be suffering physically from some ailment. Um, we may be suffering emotionally from some distress or relational difficulties. We may be uh, struggling financially or suffering spiritually even. Maybe you're in a dry and weary land spiritually and sense some sort of difficulty and suffering as you are trying to deepen your walk with Christ and maybe understand a little bit more what it means to be faithful in that walk. So all of us have different types and, and depths of challenges, of suffering. And so this particular stanza should be of encouragement to you uh, at this time. And if you are a rare one who doesn't or can't think of any type of suffering that you're currently going through, uh, just be patient. Um, it'll happen. And then you can return to these eight verses and find some solace from God and his word. There are many Christians who have recorded their sufferings, who have written books, written songs uh, about their sufferings. One in particular is a man named Samuel Rutherford who was a, who was a pastor in the 17th century in England. And um, he spent 12 years in prison, separated from his wife and children for preaching the gospel. Um, and he called his prison cell the wine cellar of God. That's the way he viewed his suffering. It was in, in his deep, dark suffering that he was able to take in the blessings of God like in no other place in his life. Another one whose song we, we sang this morning, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. And he was in England and sent for his family who was living in Chicago to meet him in England. And as they went across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship sank and uh, he lost his four daughters in that accident. And his wife was the only surviving member of his family. And as he and his wife returned to the United States, the, the captain of the ship that they were sailing on uh, pointed out uh, to Horatio the very place where the ship had sunk earlier in the year. And it is at that moment that he wrote that song that we, that we sang this morning. Uh, 
It is well when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it's well, it's well with my soul. He was able to somehow figure out a, a place of peace and comfort in the midst of a horrendous loss that very few experience. So we have this common experience in, in the human life of suffering, of, of difficulty. In the scene in the Count of Monte Cristo where Dante speaks to his sons uh, at his birthday party about life's challenges and being a man, Dante says this to his son. He goes, life is a storm. <clears throat> you will bask in the sunlight in one moment and be shattered on the rocks the next. What makes you a man is what you do when that storm comes. He acknowledged, as have these people that I've already referenced acknowledged, life is full of storms. So that, that's not the unique part. The unique part is how you respond to them. And as Christians, we have a leg up on the rest of the world. And I want to explain that to you today from our text here in Psalm 119. How can you respond to life storms in peace, in quietness, in stillness of heart, in joy even? Let's find out from the text today. Psalm 119, verses 54 through 56. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So we see these phrases in the house of sojourning. We see the word darkness. And these are references to times of affliction and discouragement. Sojourning in scripture is used to describe a, the believer's alien status. Uh, we are strangers in this world, right? This is not our home. Um, and it also refers to the challenges we face. We're, we're sojourning through the difficulties of life, traveling through dark and weary lands. And the word night that you see there in verse 55, that word is a reference not only to nighttime, but also to times of being alone in dark places, in dark times. So the common experience of sorrow and pain and affliction has a common result in humanity, and that is discouragement, doubt, despair. So if that is your response to the dark times you go through, you are responding just like everybody else on the planet unless you insulate your life. And these verses, 55, 54 through 56, reveal the insulation that's available to every Christian. I want that. I want to be able to navigate the dark times of my life in a way that doesn't destroy me or the people around me. And these verses tell us how to do that. So if I could summarize what I'm going to say this morning, I would do it like this. Sojourning Christians can avoid the discouragement and despair that naturally comes to those who go through dark times by knowing God, knowing his word, and knowing his plans. You want to know how to navigate difficulty? 
how to make it through sorrow and sadness, you'd better know God, you'd better know his word and his plan for you. That's what these three verses explain to us. These elements of the Christian life allow the sojourning Christian to actually sing during times of suffering, if you can imagine that. In the face of trial, they can rejoice. And what more impact on the, in the dark world around us than someone who shouldn't be rejoicing but who is? So how can I sing in the rain or rejoice in the darkness? Let's look at these one by one. I want to start in verse 55, and I want to show you this particular point. We can sing in the rain, rejoice in the darkness by knowing God. Look at the verse again. I remember your name in the night, O Lord. If you haven't yet done so, you ought to read the book by J.I. Packer. It's a classic by this time called Knowing God. You, wanna, you want to navigate dark times in your life? You better know God. And J.I. Packer has written a wonderful book, an encouraging book, for that very reason. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Put it on your to-read list. Only those who really truly know God can sing in the rain. God's name in this particular verse, I remember your name, it is a metonymy for everything about God. Your name is a reference to everything that the author knew about God. It's not just the name God. That is a representation for everything the author knew about God. I spoke to you about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. For example, God's names are used in the Bible to communicate to the reader some particular character quality of God. Jehovah Jireh, for example, comes from Genesis 22, where God provided a ram instead of the death of Isaac. God provided a solution, a substitute to the situation. Knowing that God is a providing God will help us sing through the trial of being in dire need. Why? Because he provides. What is it that you are in need of currently? Well, you can sing no matter what that need is because we have a God who provides for our needs. So what do you know about God that might cause you to sing? Do you know him well enough to sing through your current sorrow? Do you know, for example, that God is absolutely good? Do you know that, that God is all-wise and perfect in understanding? He doesn't need to have you explain to him your circumstances? No, he, he is all-wise and perfect in understanding. Do you know that God is all-powerful and can do all that he pleases? Do you know that, that God is sovereign or in control of your circumstances. Nothing surprises him that you're going through. If you know these things about God, you can sing in the face of disaster and loss and pain and failure and hardship because our sovereign, loving God is absolutely good and will never do anything that's bad or wrong. You can rejoice in difficult time because he's all wise and knows exactly what is best and he is all powerful and can pull off what needs to be done. So you can sing. Notice that the psalmist here remembers God in the night. Uh, night is a vulnerable time for many. Is it for you? At 2 a.m. everything seems to be worse than it is. Isn't that true? 
our, our general tendency is to worry at night, not to remember God at night. I, I have done both, and I can tell you that the more productive thing is to meditate on God than to worry about my circumstances or, or worry about my children's circumstances. I'm, when I'm facing something or when the people I love are facing something and, and my mind is consumed with those things, I find myself in a dark place, not in a joyful place. Many spend their restless hours in the night worrying or thinking about mundane things, like how they're going to make their next buck or where they're going to go on their next vacation. But the Bible tells us that, that we ought to be meditating on God in the night. And, and not just in the nighttime of the day, I'm talking about the dark times of our life's experiences. It says in Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to notice how the, the psalmist's night thoughts resulted in godly action. Do you see that in that verse? He says, I remember your name in the night, and then the very next phrase, and keep your law. So his, his night meditations on God resulted in godly living the next day. After he had thought of God at night, he, he kept God's law the next chance he had. C could it be that what we think about on our beds affects how we live during the day? Is it possible that unless we can meditate on God in the night, we will never please him in the day? If our minds are consumed with worldly cares at night, I can almost guarantee that they will be distracted by worldly interest in the day. So how can we sing in the darkness, whether it be actually physical darkness or in difficult times? By knowing God. That's how. The one who is sovereignly in control of your circumstances. Do you know him? Well, one way you can get to know him, and that's our second point here, is in his word. How can you sing in the darkness? By knowing God's word. That is where you discover God. This verse here in verse 54 tells us that the word of God is a source of hope and comfort in life's trials. Your statutes, which is a reference to God's word, have been my songs in the sojournings. This is where I've got the idea of singing in the rain here. His, God's statutes are the things that bring singing to my soul in the difficulties of my sojourning life. Singing in the rain, rejoicing in the darkness. When, when the storms of life bring a suffocating rain, where do you turn? Well, we, we can sing in the rain if we turn to God and his word. Because God's word <coughs> is a light and lamp that guides us along a dark path. We have a guide. God's word is also a two-edged sword that, that reveals and dissects the soul. It examines our motives and plans of our hearts. It lets us know all about ourselves. God's word is also a source of hope and joy and peace and assurance 
for those who know it. God's word is God's revelation of himself who is the ultimate fulfillment of our desires. We heard read early this morning that Jesus died and suffered to bring us to God, not to bring us to heaven. Jesus died so that you would know God and his word. Turn with me, if you would, real quickly, back 100 chapters in Psalm 19. Not 119, but Psalm 19. And I want to just review for you real quickly here the benefit of the word of God for dark times. You're going through some suffering, some trials, and you're wondering where to turn? These words that I'm about to read for you will direct you clearly to the word of God. It says, starting in verse 7, the law of the Lord, that's God's word, is perfect. What's it do? It revives your soul. Is your soul feeling dead and dark? The word of God we read right here revives it. The testimony of the Lord, another name for the word of God, what's it do? The testimony of the Lord is sure it makes wise simple. Are you a simple person? Are you, are you a person that really has a hard time figuring out things? The word of God makes simple people wise people. Look at the next verse, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord, another name of God, a name of God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right. There we go. Rejoicing the heart. Are you sad? Spend some time in the word. It'll rejoice your heart. The commandment of the Lord, another name for God's word is pure. It enlightens the eyes. It helps you see things clearly. Are you confused about a relationship you're in? You confused about something at work or something at home? Guess what this verse says about God's word? It helps you see clearly. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. They're trustworthy. You can go to them. They'll always direct you in the right way. They'll always shine the light on the path. The word of God is what brings joy to the heart that allows singing in difficulty, rejoicing in darkness. The word songs, back to Psalm 119, verse 54, the word songs there, your statutes have been my songs, represents the idea or all the ideas of pleasure, joy, assurance, contentment. You know, the author found these things in the word of God and they were the great source of help and comfort in trying times. Even to the point of Breaking out and singing. Isn't that odd? I mean, talk about being weird. Singing in dark times. But that's exactly what we see here. The American prison system used to employ chain gangs. I don't know if you remember those things. There's a few movies that you might watch or books you might read that discuss these things. And it seems that chain gangs were famous for easing their workload, their pain, and their sorrow by singing together. The guys who had been on the chain gangs learned songs from guys who were there before them, and they taught them to the guys who followed. You want to make your difficult circumstances better, learn this song and sing with us. The same things we saw happen in the American culture of slavery. This is the the spirituals that they, writ, they, they wrote and sang. Why? 
because they were discouraged and they were in despair and they lifted their spirits when they sang them. See, I know that I personally receive encouragement and hope, and I did so this morning when we sang spiritual songs and hymns. Singing is intentionally designed by God to accomplish this very thing. In James 5.13, it says this, If anyone's among you suffering, let him pray. Is he cheerful? Let him sing. So evidently, singing can be done when sad or joyful. Most of the psalms were written to be sung, and there is a psalm for every human emotion. God commands us to sing, even in dark times. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Why do you need a rock? Because this is an unstable world. And you can sing about that rock. The psalmist would sing about God and his great faithfulness, his mighty power, his forgiveness and love, and anything else that came to his mind about God, he would sing about it. In the house of sojourning, we see there in, in verse 54, no matter where the author found himself, no matter what trial he faced, he found encouragement in remembering God and remembering God's word and singing about it. You know, singing uh, isn't unique to the the culture we live in. We all know songs and we have favorite songs and we sing them regularly, sing along with them. And so when we come to this setting in church in a worship service, singing is a natural thing for us and most of us enjoy it. Even if we can't sing well, we enjoy it. Make a joyful noise and it doesn't have to be pretty. Just make the noise. And so we're going to sing right now. We're going to take a moment to sing. Jeremy's going to lead us in this song. It's not in your bulletin. It'll be on the overhead. Let's sing. And I want you to think about what these words uh, represent from Scripture and how they bring joy to your soul. Let's, let's sing together. Now, were those truths encouraging? Yes. And so what did we do about it? We sang. You know, what, what is it about God's Word that causes sad sojourners to sing it's things like this he paid my debt and set me free he gives victory over sin and death and hell he brought me from death to life on the cross he sealed my pardon that's joy inducing and so we sing about it right the reason we sing the songs we do here at church, at Sun Valley Church, is so that you'll remember them throughout the week and sing them again. Sometimes you sing to cheer yourself up, and other times you sing as a result of being cheered up. You remember Paul and Silas, we just heard the story read from Acts 16. They broke out into song in the middle of the night in a musty jail with their feet in stocks. Why? It demonstrated that they had truly experienced the comfort and peace and joy of God that we just sung about. Even though they were doing God's will and sacrificially serving the Lord, they encountered severe difficulty. You may be doing everything right. You may be sacrificially giving of your precious free time, 
By serving others, you may sacrificially be giving of your hard-earned income and faithfully uh, worshiping the Lord in your personal and family worship time. But God may still, like Paul and Silas, take you through darkness. The songs that bring comfort to our souls are not ditties or Caleb-type songs that distract us from reality. They are songs of depth, biblical theology put to tune. We practice singing these kind of songs because they lift our spirits in times of sorrow. What is it about God's word that makes us sing? I've got a couple ideas for you. There's much and many more. But what is it about God's word that makes us sing in darkness? Well, one, God promises eternal life to us in his word. Is that what we're singing about? It makes me sing. Second Peter 1.4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through what? His promises recorded in his word, we may become partakers of a divine nature. That's joy-inducing stuff. The word of God is full of very great and precious promises, and these are substantial promises. And if understood and believed, they bring heaps of joy to us, which we miss out on if we don't spend time in the word. We're promised justification by faith. Think about that. We're promised to be made right with God simply by believing in his promises. We are promised access to God, the creator of the universe, by simple faith. We are, we are promised that we will rejoice in glory. See, God promises eternal life in his word, and that brings joy to the soul. What is it about God's word that makes us sing? God gives guidance for living in his word. Second Peter 119, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. So we have this lamp. We have this dark way that we're on. God's word guides us through that. Shows us the pitfalls to avoid. The, the love of the world will always mislead us. You know, as, as wise as Dr. Phil and Oprah are, they will mislead us, whereas the word of God will never mislead us. It is a true light. The love of the word of God will never take us astray. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What else about God's word makes us sing? Well, in God's word, he demonstrates his faithfulness that he has given to many. All the stories of scripture the, the bottom underlying truth of these stories is the faithfulness of God to his people. Hebrews 6, 12. These things are written so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate those people who you've seen walk the path before. Follow their pattern and you will receive their joy. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore... Since we're surrounded by this great crowd of, crowd of witnesses, many people who have gone before us, what are we supposed to do? Lay aside every weight like they did, 
and sin that clings so closely like they did, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us like they did. And then we will receive the joy that they had. You know, I wish I could be joyful like so-and-so. Well, are you doing what so-and-so did? That's the way to joy. God promises next, how do we sing in the face of darkness? What is, the, what is it about the word of God that makes this possible? God promises that he will have everything we need for the journey. Well, how many of you worry about what you're going to do tomorrow or how are you going to pull that off the next week? We all kind of tend that direction, don't we? Well, God's word brings joy to our circumstances by promising us that he'll take care of it. Matthew 6, why are you worried about these things? Don't you think God will provide for you? He provides for birds. Don't you think he'll provide for you? How about this in Philippians 4? And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not sure how rich Jesus Christ is. Think he can meet my needs? Seems like he can. All throughout scripture we find these kind of promises about God's supply for his people. How else can I learn to sing? Verse 56 tells us, it says, by knowing God's plan. Look at verse 56. I'm going to take a little unpacking for you to see this. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. How does that show us that this author's thinking about God's plan? How is it that knowing God's plan brings joy to this author's heart and, and hence ours? Well, this author understands that God's sovereign activity has always been part of his life. Look back at the first verse of this stanza. Back to verse 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Who made him hope? Who gave him spiritual life? God did. And this author acknowledges that. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. What gives me life? Your promises. God is sovereignly active in the life of all of his people. From beginning to end, and then he ends with this particular verse in verse 56. This blessing has fallen to me. It's fallen to me, not by chance, but by God's will, that I have kept your promises. Something that, that, that we see here in verse 56 is an attitude uh, that signals a, a joyful submission to all of God's will. This has fallen to me. Of all people, God's been good to me. God's upholding sovereign grace is woven throughout this entire stanza. So, something that jumps out at me uh, is that the author is calling his difficulties blessings. He says this blessing. What blessing? Well, our mind naturally goes to the good things, right? The, the singing and the rejoicing in darkness and so forth. But it also includes the difficulties that force those things. The sojourning in the darkness. He calls them blessings. Now, that's odd to us, maybe. Maybe not if you've been here long enough. But this is the truth of, it, of the matter for Christian experience, isn't it? We understand that all things are from God's hand with a divine purpose to, to fulfill his purposes in us, primarily making us like Jesus. So sojourning in the darkness experiencing hardship, trial, failure, 
he considered them all blessings. I, I think the reason for this is obvious. It's because it's through trial and darkness that we turn to Jesus. Where do you run when you get sick? To the doctor. James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy when you encounter trials because of the result of it. There would be a lot less singing and meditating on God if there were no difficulties, right? This is an important lesson for us to learn and embrace. If you know God through the grasp of his word, you'll be well on your way to knowing and submitting to his plan for your life. And to... Um, spoil the whole thing for you, I'm going to tell you what his plan for your life is. All right? First of all, and foremost, is to conform you to his image. That's God's plan. We read this clearly in Scripture. Romans 8, 29. It is God's will. It, you are predestined to be conformed to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at the glory of Jesus, are being transformed into his image. This is God's design. This is what happens. It's his plan for you to transform you into the image of his son. How does that happen? By keeping all the difficulties away from you? No. No. By walking with you through them. He, he says in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of God. What makes you sing in the darkness? Knowing God, knowing his word, and knowing his plan for you. He conforms us to his image through a knowledge of God. He also does so through, a, through your personal sufferings. And by the way, he, he transforms you through those whom you love when they suffer. I don't know if you know this, but when someone's close to you is suffering, it draws you to Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. This is God's design. Paul said that his suffering was the glory of the Ephesian church. <laughs> is your suffering the glory of your children or your neighbors? It can only be that if you respond well to it. If your suffering results in singing then it is to their glory, to their encouragement. Others grow in holiness by watching you navigate the darkness. We, we also are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through relationships, both healthy and unhealthy, through the spiritual leader's relationship with you, through your spouse's relationship with you, your employers, your employees, through your children, through your parents. God uses these things to conform you to the image of Christ. And I've said this before, but the goal of marriage is not to make you happy, but holy, right? So no matter how I act towards my wife, I'm accomplishing what God wants, right? And vice versa. So, you know, one thing that we can maybe do is when our spouses aren't acting Christ-like, we can thank them for the sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives through them personally at that moment. That usually starts a deeper fight, but <laughs> it is the truth. 
So what are we talking about? God's plan, first of all, to conform you to his image. Secondly, to use you as salt and light in this world. To use you as salt and light in this world. God wants to use you to draw people to himself. To, to let the people in your world see the glory of Jesus reflected in you. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. We are to be instruments of grace, the Bible calls it. How do we do that? By displaying the glory of God in all our circumstances, especially what the world deems as negative. How can you be so happy in your circumstances? Have you ever been asked that question? If not, you should be. Share the glory of Jesus. Speak of Christ. In John 17, verse 18, Jesus said that he sent us into the world to be his representatives, to continue his work. The glory of Jesus, friends, shines most brightly through you when you are in a sad and discouraging circumstance. That's when it shines the brightest. Just like a candle shines the brightest in a dark room. What else does God's plan include for us? Well, if you're a Christian, to edify the saints, to encourage the saints. Are you a source of encouragement or discouragement to the saints? I know we all have a natural gift to be discouragers. But we're called out of darkness into light to be encouragers to the saints. We are to be, as Hebrews 13, 3.13 says, agents of perseverance. You know what keeps me on the path to heaven? Is your exhortation, according to Hebrews 3.13. You know what keeps you on the path to heaven? My exhortation. When we exhort one another, it sets us back on the right path, walking with Christ. This is God's plan for you, to edify the saints. We are, we are to know the one another's of Scripture and practice them. The New Testament has over 35 one another's. What that means is, we are to pray for one another, encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another. All these one another's. This is God's plan for us, to edify one another. And we can do that in and through dark times. What else is God's plan? And there's more, but I'm going to end with this because it's a good one to get you to heaven. That's God's plan is to get you to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. In John 17, 24, Jesus praying to his heavenly Father says, Father, I desire that they also, who? Those who have embraced Christ, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Friends, part of God's plan is to get you to heaven, to sanctify you along the way, to use you in the lives of others along the way. 
and to do this by producing fodder for joy in your life. Friends, we can sing in the darkness because God is taking us through it to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Let's pray. God, we need this kind of encouragement regularly. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving the heart of the psalmist to write these words, to include these words here in the the Zion stanza of Psalm 119. God, we need this type of encouragement. We, We need to know that what we're going through has a purpose and a design, that there is hope of joy even in the midst of hardship, difficulty, and darkness, and sadness, and rain. God, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would remind us of the work of Christ, that we would rejoice in our Redeemer, that we would believe in the promises, that we would walk faithfully through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would fear no evil there because you are with us. God, bless us. Thank you for blessing us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.